the shoulders of dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games. Hello and welcome to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast on role-playing games and the gamers who game them. My name is Ran Aviram. And my name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello there. And today we shall discuss not our story, but my story, the personal plotline, when a character have their own sort of mini story as part of the bigger story, or maybe not as part of the bigger story. How should it be done? Why should we do it? What is going on with you? Is everything okay? Yeah? Fine. Fine. Thank you very much. Excellent. Nice. Personal plot lines. Now, we all love having our own personal plot line, and most of what we'll say here in this podcast today is relevant mostly in long-term campaigns. Because when we play a short adventure, characters usually have, you know, some internal desires that usually meant to flesh out their, their own character or to help player propel the game forward by saying things like, uh, ah, I need to keep going in order to save my vampire bride from being killed by those evil villagers because it says so on my character sheet. Uh, your... So we will usually encounter personal plot lines in the more extended campaigns. It's a wonderful thing to have personal plot lines because it's, it's a great way to make sure that every character in the party is interesting. Every character should be, like in every good story, movie, any form of narrative, every character should be the protagonist of their own story even though we're inside the party with a goal in mind. Now, I've mentioned this before, that I have my own personal formula for the number of plot lines per campaign. And it should be, if X is the number of, of player characters, then the number of plot lines should be X plus 1. One for each PC, and one for the whole party that keeps them together and gives them a common goal, something to work toward, and basically justify having this campaign. The inspiration for this episode is a recent episode that I've watched of Critical Role, the um, very famous streamed uh, actual play show where a bunch of uh, nerdy voice actors uh, sit around and play Dungeons & Dragons. And they are about six players in the group. They can be seven, they can be even eight players in the group. All of them are very much into having personal relationships with one another and they can spend literally hours of every session just having things bouncing off each other. First of all, because they are all sort of improv artists and they enjoy creating the story together. But second of all, because each of them really like having a personal plot line and developing it with the other players. And for the new campaign that they've just started, which is, by the way, an, an excellent point for you guys if you are not into it to maybe start watching them because it requires no prior knowledge at all and I'll give a link of course in the show notes each of the characters have a sort of a secret plot line of their own going somewhere in the background that the GM of course knows about and that the other players are trying to figure out at the last episode, for example, the character of Sam Regal, who is a tiny little uh, goblin thief started explaining why she was going through the 
bags of other people and why she was looking for letters and stuff like that, which seemed sort of in character, but also uh, an invasion of privacy. Of course, this is the sort of thing that they, they enjoy in their group, and I wouldn't recommend it in any group, in every group, but, but you know, it's, it's your, your deal. So in here, this was not a problem. It was a springing board from which we discovered that she is actually looking to become a wizard because she wants to be powerful and she wants her friend to be powerful to protect her and she must have him become a powerful wizard because she's so afraid for her place in the world and being a tiny goblin in a world that doesn't really like goblins. And this is a personal plotline that was discovered during play and that's what they really really enjoy doing the reason that i thought about doing this episode is good for them but that's not really how it usually works i mean it works for them being six players in a very loose very um gm enabling campaign where the gm go along with whatever they suggest and he's an excellent GM, and they're all excellent players, and good for them. But there are other ways to do plot lines. There are other reasons to do personal plot lines, and we should talk about it, I think, with our listeners. We're going to explore some of the reasons why you might want to have personal plot line and how it helps your game and your players and your entire world-building effort by doing so. Number one on my list is character background and character development. If your character has an internal personal plot line, it usually say, okay, I have a plot line, meaning there is something I want to, to do or to achieve. That something will probably be rooted in the history and background of my character, allowing me first to think, okay, what was my character background? And the more important question, how do I want to develop my character moving forward? Because if my personal plotline is, ah, I'm this little farmer boy and I am destined to be king, then that would be a very specific storyline that I'm going to have to play my character through. However, if my personal plotline is, okay, I'm a simple farm boy, and I wish to kill the king in order to save the kingdom from its tyrannical rule, that is an entirely different plotline, and my character is going to develop very differently. So this is a... Having a personal plotline is a very good tool for a player to understand where his character came from and where does he want it to go. The second point of the list is the reason that I personally like personal plot lines, and it's my own interest as a player in a type of story that is not necessarily part of the bigger plot. Like, for example, when we played a huge campaign that was all about war and redemption, I wanted to play a personal story about a character who will, throughout the campaign, become more and more corrupted, and then, in a final act of betrayal, leave the party only to later rejoin and go through redemption. So these two character arcs that my GM will decide how to um, advance, uh, talking with me, of course, throughout the campaign. And this was very much my own thing. But it was not, I think, what you said about 
character development and character background because I had a story in mind that I wanted to tell. I wasn't discovering what is happening with me. I wasn't building on things that happened before. I created a background to suit this story that I wanted to tell, which was, again, not the story of the whole campaign, although it ran parallel to it. Unfortunately, they weren't conflicting, which is, of course, a point we'll discuss later. You had a plot line, and you build a character and the development around that plot line, rather than the other way around. It's awesome. Generally speaking, yes. Number three on our list of great purposes for personal plot line is the railroading effect. Now, I see two main railroading effects with personal plotline. Number one is at the campaign level, where it's it's very subtle, because if you had your own personal plotline of, I need to overthrow the king for some reason, this is a very good chance for the GM to give you a little bit of hints about how this story is going to go, what kind of campaign are we playing, what would be the overarching themes, trust, betrayal, um, usurpation, etc. However, it's also very beneficial in the small, in the adventure level. You can railroad very easily. Oh, you're you're this tiny little boy in search of his mother. Well, you overhear a specific uh, gentleman from the boat mention her name passingly as a passenger who was on his boat last week. When you know, as a GM, what's the personal plot lines of your player and their characters, it's a lot easier to railroad the adventure to a specific path using those. It's like a very simple adventure hooks, shall we say, that you can invoke when needed. Yes, and it goes the other way around. So, for example, if your character... So, for example, if a player has, uh, I don't know, a hatred for orcs, and he really, really super-duper hates orcs for some reason, and his character is all about killing orcs, you can place the king of all orcs in the middle of the dungeon where you want the characters to go to. Of course, this shouldn't be in conflict with where other characters want to go through, but let's let's get to to conflict resolution later later on, yeah. Yeah. Number four on our list is a way to signal the GM what you as a player is interested in. Like Iran mentioned just now, having a type of story that you want to tell is very easy to convey to the GM if you agree on a specific personal plotline. However, it's also a way to signal the kind of stories. If you want, for example, something that is more action-packed, you can say, okay, my personal plotline is I'm going to hunt down and kill every last one of the fucking mercenaries in the Blue Suns Brigade. Which is yeah, an, an excellent personal storyline for someone specific. Like Iran said a moment ago with the orcs, my personal plotline is a vendetta against all orcs, wherever they may be, whatever their green skin is hiding behind, I'm going to find it and I'm going to rip their throat out, etc. Which kind of hint to the GM, listen, I want to have an action-packed orc-slicing adventure. That's what I'm into. Or, on the other hand, I am on a mission of peace and my own personal plotline is to bring together the hearts of the neighboring nation into one wholesome, loving family of nations. That 
probably mean more diplomacy than hack and slash. Our fifth and last point in this list of purposes is world building. Now I can tell you as an avid fate player that players are greatly encouraged when they're creating their aspect to tie them to the world and to the forces in it. So for example, the aspect um, hunted, as in people are hunting down my character, is nice. But people are, players are encouraged to go hunted by the police, which could mean that there's a, an active police force, or hunted by the Yellow Scar Mafia for betraying their trust in the last robbery, which kind of already means a lot more about your character. Okay, I have a personal plotline, and my personal plotline is somehow to clear my name with the Mafia, or with the Triad, or whatever. That kind of use the personal plotline, which have all these adventures that we have mentioned beforehand, and use them to build on, elaborate, and expand the setting and the world around the character. I personally find this to be amazing as a tool for GM and players alike, because as a player you can use it to create connection and forces and groups and power structures in the world and as a GM it gives you a great way to interact with characters okay I want you to be at ease so I'm gonna give a, a fellow friend from the mafia whom you used to work together and he's not one of those who hunt you and he can help you or if I want to propel the game forward I can bring in one of those nasty mafia hitmen who's on your tracks at the moment. I think there is an important lesson here that, generally speaking, personal plotlines should be hooked or built upon specific NPCs, if possible. Like, I really hate that person, or I'm really looking forward to meeting and having the last word with that person, or something like that. So you can, as a GM and as a player, point yourself toward a specific relationship. First of all, because relationships are what all good plot lines, I think, are about. And second of all, because then both you as a GM and you as a player can find ways to connect this desire with the NPC. Like, for example, the NPC might not be in this town, it might be in another town, so let's go find them. Or this person is the best friend of the NPC, so let's to start a new connection with this person, and then we can get to the NPC or whatever. Agreed. That's a great way of grounding adventures and plots into the setting and into the hearts of characters. Because it's, it's fun to kill the king of all orcs. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I've done that. It's fun. It's great fun. However, it's a lot more satisfying to kill the king of all orcs because he was the one who murdered your family, blah, 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 and you have been on this path for a while, and this is a payoff of all that hard work. One of the greatest maxims in the world is that you cannot have a payoff without a build-up. And a personal plotline is an excellent way to create a build-up towards something to have the possibility of a payoff in the future. Let's now go ahead and talk about internal struggles. 
I always recommend that a personal plotline should be tied to an internal struggle that the character have. Why? For a very simple reason. Because if it's an internal struggle as well as an external one, that same struggle can manifest in many different situations. Hmm. For example, if your character wishes to avenge the murder of his father, the king, etc., they're not just on a quest to catch or kill the murderer. They're also probably struggling with a moral choice. Should I kill that murderer? Should I bring him to justice, etc.? They're also facing grief. Their, their, their father just died. He was the king, apparently beloved by him, the prince. Or maybe they're coming to term with their past as spoiled rich princesses who never did anything with their lives. Now, those internal conflicts, if you pick one, can manifest at pretty much every encounter that you have throughout the adventure and enhance the way your character interacts with the world, even if that specific encounter does not directly involve the, your main personal plotline. Excellent point, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, consider Hamlet, for example, who, who was, which was on my mind when I wrote uh, this list about avenging the murder of your father, the king. Throughout the play, and I recommend, you know, reading or watching Hamlet if you're one <laughs> of those three people who haven't, uh, we have a prince whose father, the king, was murdered. And throughout the play, most of what happened is Hamlet dealing with his internal struggle before bringing himself to a point in which he can perform his own personal internal plotline, which is to avenge the death of his father and kill the murderer of his father, which is his uncle. I know, it's a messy family. Because that internal struggle is so present, you can literally write a whole play, the actual plotline and the payoff of which are just at the end, and the whole play mainly builds and progress on the internal struggle of the character. And you can see that internal struggle manifest itself throughout every single scene of the play. I think it's also a really useful tool when you ask yourself how to make my character more interesting in this scene. This scene is not about me. It's about a different player character uh, dealing with another NPC and I'm a barbarian and I have nothing to do with this polite conversation that they are doing. But maybe I'm in the barbarian on a quest to prove myself to um, the people from my village. And maybe I can see this as an opportunity, as a player, I mean, to take this character, push her into the situation as reflected by that quest, by creating an internal struggle of a sort. Like, for example, well, I don't need to prove myself to them. I only need to prove myself to my village and the people from my village so I can do whatever. But why do I feel like this person has so much authority and he's so important and I want to treat him with respect? But I should only treat with respect the people from my village. Do I also need to prove myself to other people? Oh, no. I mean, there's there's something to be done here, even if you're not part of the conversation. Uh, although I would remind all players of the, the first and second rules of uh, from our 11 rules of whatever that we've talked about being a better role player from a different episode. We'll give a link, which are act and show 
your character. If you have an internal struggle and it isn't shown in the game, it doesn't exist. So showing it in some way, say something, write something in the weekly question about it, uh, comment about it after the scene ends, comment about it during the scene and what you, how you behave during it. Uh, tell the other players in front of them on the table that you what your character is thinking, what is going on in the head. H- have something happen along with this internal struggle. Years ago, I was at an improv workshop by an amazing improviser called Nadine Antler. The class was titled, It's Never About the Cake. I think I've mentioned it in the past, maybe in passing. And the point of It's Never About the Cake is supposing you see a scene in a movie. And it's a husband and wife, and the husband come back late at night, and it's a day before his birthday, and he see a cake at the fridge, and he eats the cake, which was supposed to be for his celebration birthday tomorrow morning and go to sleep. And in the morning, he and his wife fight about why he ate the cake. And now, of course, we all understand that it's not about the cake. Because if you have a healthy relationship and everything is fine and you accidentally ate a cake that you shouldn't, um, someone's going to tell you, you shouldn't have eaten the cake. You're going to say, you're right. I'm sorry. I ate the cake by mistake. And they'll say, okay, don't do that again. And you move on. Now, if this is a reason for a major fight, it means that it's not about the cake. <laughs> uh, it, the point of that is that if you have a conflict inside the scene, it's usually not about what you're actually fighting about. There's, there's something more to it. And I think it's a great way to think about what you just said. If there is a, a scene in which you play your character and there's someone else playing their character and there's some sort of a, an emotional reaction, you should understand where that emotional reaction comes from. Because yes. you're, you're not yelling at the barbarian why he went into hyper rage and killed the orcs. He, he's doing that all the time. That's what barbarians do. There's something that troubles you about these dead orcs. What is it? Maybe you wanted to kill them yourself because that's your big personal plotline. Maybe you feel inadequate because you wanted to prove yourself in battle and not just stand aside like a bard while the, the barbarian getting all the credit. Yes. It's never about the cake. So put that into your role-playing game. It's also worth taking that into your personal life, just saying. If someone's angry <laughs> with you, he's probably not angry at you just because of what just happened. You have a great saying, again, from the world of improv, about having a strong emotional reaction. Then when something happens, have a reaction and then justify why you had it. And I think that it works really well with this whole internal struggle thing because... Like, for example, the barbarian killed all the orcs. And you, playing the fighter, wants to have something interesting happening. So you decide to be angry about it. And then, when justifying, you can go to the internal struggle and say, well, why should I be angry? Ah, yeah, because, ah, yeah, because my dude feels inadequate. Ah, and then the barbarian killed. Ah, yes, that's awesome. And then say it and play it, and, and it can be a lot of fun. Yep. And people might think at the moment, wait, what won't that create discord or like if i justify thing retrospectively won't that cause my character to be inconsistent no simply be consistent (laughs) Uh, decide on a reaction justify it make sure it's consistent with your previous reaction as a character 
But if we're talking about conflict, that's a great segue mm. to our next segment, which is about conflicting plot lines. I think, of course, the major problem is that when you have a personal story, that takes some of the spotlight from the main story. And as the more players you have in the party, the more personal stories you may have. And the main problem I see as a GM is not that they take some time from the main plot. The main plot is fine and it will, it will deal with itself. She's a big girl. But every player would like to have the same amount of spotlight as every other player. And that might be the big problem, for, well, for me at least, as a GM. Now, about conflicting plot lines, I think you should make sure that the personal plot lines are not at odds with each other or with the main plot lines. Now, of course, like everything else in life, when I say don't do that or make sure the plot lines are not at odds with each other, what I really mean to say is plot lines are tools like anything else on the gaming table and tools are used to create effects. Conflicting plot lines are a great tool to sow discord among your PCs and in most cases among the players. So if that is your purpose, for example, if you're running a three-hour short game uh, where you want to teach people about conflict resolution and how you deal with other people who are have conflicting goals with your goal, then cool, use that. However, if you want to create a well-adjusted party who uh, would stay together and play for a long time, you probably want to avoid conflicting plot lines. What's important in my views is for us as GMs to understand how these tools like Plotline works and what effect you can create and how you can use them for your intended purposes. The reason I'm stating this is because I know way too many GMs who just enjoy to randomly pull emotional levers in order to try and evoke an emotional response out of their players. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I have a lot of disdain toward this kind of jamming. I think that your players trust you. They give you their time, attention, and their emotion. And all these they expect you to manipulate in order to generate the role-playing experience. The least you can do is to show some respect for your players by treating their emotions with respect. So when you manipulate them, do so with deliberance and for a purpose. And not just, you know, randomly try to make the game interesting by creating conflict where there shouldn't be one. Yes. If, okay, your, your player has its own personal plotline of saving the king and your player has an emotional uh, personal plotline of uh, murdering the king who's currently held by orcs um, it could be that you are saying okay at the end there will be this great conflict between these two characters when they finally arrive to the king but bear in mind that this means that one of those players will not be able to achieve their goal and the uh, complete the personal plotline which would create a sense of closure for his or her character. Which is, which is fine, by the way. I think as long as it is, as you said, deliberate and handled wisely. Like, for example, talk with each of the players and ask them, let's say you can't achieve your goal. What would be the development 
further on, are you now going to achieve a different goal? Are you now maybe unsure of your own abilities and want to become stronger in some way? Are you now, what is happening now? This is not the end of your plotline. It was just a bump in the way. It was a failure. Failure can be super duper interesting. How do you react, etc., etc. And ask both of them and make both of them realize this is possible and already anticipate, maybe even hope for a continuation of this storyline. Indeed. Again, you can do amazing, amazing things as a GM, uh, but like every time you where you can do amazing things for good, you can also do amazing things for bad. I, I know players who have played a game, uh, understood at the end that they were simply pitted against each other in a game that up until that point was a co-op game, and that ruined the whole experience of the campaign of for them. Of course. Yep. Of course, we, we have to note Paranoia here, which is a game all about giving every player a conflicting <laughs> plotline and see what, what happens. But this is the point of the game, and yep. we all know it entering it. When we sit around the table to play Paranoia, it really should be the first thing everyone knows. Trust no one, not even the GM. Especially have not lots the GM. of silly fun. Yes. Yep. And also, you know, it's it's in the name. Hey, you want to play Paranoia? Cool. What's yeah, it feel yeah. like? <laughs> it's a very calm game. Yeah. If you guys don't know Paranoia, you won't get into details right now, but it's a very unusual role-playing game. Very old role-playing game, by the way. And we'll give a link in the show notes. And when we, maybe we'll discuss it in some later episode. Awesome. We went through a bunch of stuff, like how many plotlines we recommend you to have, what's the purpose of them and how you can utilize them, how you should probably tie them to an internal struggle for each characters, and when should and shouldn't you create conflicting plotlines. I think we covered the basics. I think we did, and actually that makes me reflect on my games that I currently run and ask myself if I was explicit enough in the plot lines that I, as a player, want to have, because I think I wasn't, and if I was sure enough to ask my players for what sort of plot lines, personal plot lines, they would like to have, because I'm not sure I have. So, Uri, I think this episode really helped me. Well, that's the purpose. <laughs> and for all of you out there, go and roleplay. Have some fun. Oh, hey, just before we start taking the load off, I am a run from the editing phase, and I want to inform you that this episode was recorded a week ago. Therefore, it is referring to things that happened a week ago. Don't come to the conventions we are talking about in a few minutes, because they are already over, and also in Israel. Have a fun listen. It's time to take the load off the part of the show in which we talk a bit about what we were doing last week, what has been happening to us, everything that is related to all playing games in our personal lives. Uri? I have a bunch of stuff because we haven't uh, recorded a podcast episode last week. So yes. two weeks ago, I ran an introduction to Fate Game, which was loads of fun, like every introduction to Fate Game. And I'm not going to talk too much about the game itself. It was... Like I said, loads of fun. We spent hours creating the game world. We spent hours playing, getting to know the system. I personally, I think one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned was like age 15 in uh, summer camp where someone explained to us that you don't explain a game. 
you play a game. The game should explain itself while playing. And I, I took that to heart. So I, like, I never take time to explain rules unless it's during use of those rules. And it works a lot. But what I actually wanted to say was that one of the players actually took the time, wrote a whole summary of the entire session as a short story sort of thing, and, and sent it to everyone in the who was in the introduction. I mean, this is not um, a known group. This is a bunch of people who got together because they all happened to be on the internet saying, hey, I want to try Fate. And I happened to watch that and said, cool, let's do an introduction session. It is so rewarding for me as a GM to see that I've managed to influence someone and got him in such a good mood that he simply went and wrote down the whole events of the session in order to make everyone, you know, remember that and feel awesome about that. Awesome. That's on the, yeah, that's on the plus side. On the minus side, I had to cut my uh, Pathfinder session in mid-session because my little baby was sick and I had to leave and go take care of him. But it was in one of those weird coincidences that was so nice. Uh, we were on our way to an interrogation scene and I said, okay, uh, you go ahead and start the investigation. My character is going to go and talk with the guards just to make sure that we were on good terms with everyone. So the entire party went into the interrogation room and my character went to talk with the guards outside for a moment. And then I got the phone call. I had to leave and it's just, you know, okay, my character's outside and simply gone somewhere and forgot to mention anyone. So it was kind of, you know, a happy coincidence that uh, I could leave the session without um, disturbing the, the plot line. On another note, today and tomorrow, you can come and meet us at Bigo, uh, Israel's yearly um, Passover convention for role-playing games in Ramat Gan. Uh, I will be there, Uri will be there, tomorrow even Aviv Manoach will be there, and we will record an episode for our Hebrew podcast, our Hebrew edition, which we actually only record episodes to on, on Passover <laughs> when we meet in Bigo <laughs> every year. That's right, and, and the two following days, Tuesday and Wednesday, is Olamot, uh, one of Israel's big sci-fi and fantasy uh, conventions, which is awesome. And I'm going to be there um, doing two lectures about an anime, about why and how you should start watching anime, and why can't people leave Neon Genesis Evangelion alone after so many years? They really should. They, should, they, they really should. Get, yes. yes. Like, we'll give links in the show notes in case there's any chance that you live in Israel or something. I only have two things to say in this load of taking off loads. First of all, the Savage Tokusatsu Kickstarter, uh, which is a Kickstarter about um, Savage World setting, all about the Tokusatsu genre, which is when you have like Power Rangers sort of dudes and giant monsters sort of dudes, but also Godzilla. And also all sort of this cheesy special effects sort of thing in a city. 
that's Tokusatsu. That's a genre by itself. And it, this, the Kickstarter has been going for a few weeks now, and it's obviously funded, because why shouldn't such a thing be funded? And there's a stretch goal where I was asked to write a one-sheet, and I'm very happy to say that it has been reached. So I will be writing a one-sheet adventure for Savage Tokusatsu. The second thing is about The Bands of Mourning, which is a story, a book that I've just finished reading by Brandon Sanderson, who is amazing, and specifically from the mm-hmm. Mist, yeah, the Mistborn uh, second trilogy of books, which is super duper good. And I have a very interesting, I think, insight about it, because Bands of Mourning, while being pretty good, really reads like an adventure of a role-playing game, where a group of PCs go around and do some things because there are things to be done and there are cool things and then the story ends. While, for example, even the previous story, not to say anything about the the previous trilogy, was all about people in a situation, each people and their own, well, inner struggles and conflicts if we talk about, and their inner plot lines clashing and, and all sorts of stuff. I have nothing against Bands of Mourning, but... I think I would have preferred getting it as an adventure, really, than reading it as a book. Because there's so much interesting things going on, in, when in but, but not much drama, not much interesting developments. Hmm. I, I, there's a reason for it. There's a lot of interesting technical exposition going on because a lot of new things are discovered about the world itself. And Brendan Sanderson is really good with creating interesting worlds. uh, The problem is, I like to discover these worlds through his characters and less through the literal adventures that they go through. That's that's what I think role-playing adventures are for. I can only dream on a day, one day in the future, when it would be expected of you as the the consumer of content to read one thing and play an adventure for other thing and then know both things. And that will be a part of the fandom. You must read X and play through Y to be a part of the fandom. One day in the future, maybe. In the distant future. In the distant future, yes. One can hope. Day 2000... 15th, shall we say, the distant future. The distant future. <laughs> that's it, I think. Guys, if you enjoy our show, that's lovely, that's lovely. First of all, we'd, like, we'd love to hear you saying it and saying specifically what you enjoy and also, of course, what you don't enjoy and would like to see differently. You can do so by sending us an email to show at dwarfcast.net. You can also catch us on Twitter or Facebook at dwarfpodcasts. And you can also shout to the skies, but then we won't hear. So you probably should do one of the previous things that I said. Probably. Yeah. You can also rate us on iTunes. And wherever you are in the world, we would love you to do so, because apparently iTunes catches different reviews from different places and don't integrate them into a single coherent whole. So if you have something interesting to say about us in the US or in Germany... People won't know if they are from Germany or from the US. So your whatever you have to say about us, wherever you are in the world, it will be appreciated. Also, shout out to Canada. We apparently have uh, <laughs> quite a few listeners there on the rise. So thank you, Canada. Thank you, Canada. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's it, I think. See you next Monday. Monday. See you. Later. Later. 
on the shoulder of dwarves is shared under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4. The intro and outro are taken from Silly Fun by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3. Find us at dwarfcast.net and follow us on Twitter or Facebook.